homicides on Wall Street that day. It was a myth that would grow over time. The real effect of October 29th took a little longer to sink in. By noon, all the gains of the previous year had been obliterated. By 4 p.m., nearly $10 billion of market value was gone. Why is history important? What does studying about history teach us? Well, for one thing, it has a lot to do with our role as citizens of this, in this kind of democracy, in this kind of society. And I think also it fosters much respect and gratitude for those who went before us, who provided so much that we take, unfortunately, we take for granted. And it gives us a feeling that we have ought to measure up to. done all I have asked you to do and more but your country is at stake your wives your homes and all you hold dear you have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships if you will consent to stay one month longer you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country which you can probably never do under any other circumstance again the drums rolled and this time men began stepping forward. Good evening, I'm David McCullough, and this is the first program in the American Experience. The American Experience is our story as a people. Stories about passion and bravery, and over and over, the amazing resources of the human spirit in the face of adversity. The office of President of the United States. Theodore Roosevelt speak from the back of a railroad car. The president, Harry thought, appeared to be surprisingly short. For a 17-year-old boy just starting out in life, Kansas City was brimming with possibilities. It's a big, rough, boisterous, overgrown cow town. It's got everything, including lots of opportunity for sin, if that's what you want. 
good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. That voice that you hear has been silenced. If you ever watch documentaries, whether it was the Civil War or Truman, David McCullough. David McCullough died August 7th at the age of 89. He was an author, he was a narrator, he was a historian, he won the Pulitzer Prize, and those of us who revered him, whenever we heard that voice in a Ken Burns documentary, uh, David Gobb McCullough was born July 7th, 1933 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and died August 7th, 2022, at the age of 89 in Hingham, Massachusetts. He was a long-time, it was a two-time winner of the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. In 2006, he was given the Presidential Freedom, Medal of Freedom honor. (sighs) He wrote more than nine books, Harry Truman, John Adams, Theodore Roosevelt, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Panama Canal, and the Wright Brothers. McCullough also narrated numerous documentaries, such as The Civil War by Ken Burns, as well as the 2003 film Seabiscuit, and he hosted The American Experience for 12 years. He started out writing for Sports Illustrated, worked his way up, McCullough had no anticipation that he was going to write history, but he stumbled upon a story that he thought was powerful, exciting, and very worth telling. While working at the American Heritage, McCullough wrote in his spare time for three years, The Jonestown Flood, a chronicle of one of the worst flood disasters in the United States history, was published in 1968 to high praise by critics. John Leonard of the New York Times said of McCullough, We have no better social historian. Despite rough financial times, he decided to become a full-time writer, encouraged by his wife, Rosalie. After the success of the Jonestown Fire, two new publishers offered him contracts, one to write about the Great Chicago Fire and another about the San Francisco earthquake. Simon & Schuster, publisher of his first book, also authored uh, offered McCullough a contract to write a second book. Try not to become bad news McCullough. He decided to write about a subject showing people were not always foolish and inept or irresponsible. He remembered the words of his Yale teacher, Thornton Wilder, said he got no idea from a book. He got the idea from a, uh, for a book or a play when he wanted to learn about something. Then he checked to see if anybody had already done it. And if they hadn't had done it, he'd do it. McCullough decided to write a history of the Brooklyn Bridge, which he had walked across many times, and it was published in 1972. McCullough said this, To me, history ought to be a source of pleasure. It isn't just part of our civic responsibility. To me, it's an entanglement of the experience of being alive. Enlargement, sorry. Just the way literature or art or music is. David McCullough. Wow. What a long life. What a long career. McCullough published John Adams in 2001, his third biography about a United States president. 
one of the fastest-selling nonfiction books in history. The book won McCullough his second Pulitzer Prize for Best Biography or Autobiography in 2002. He started it as a book about the founding fathers and a back-to-back presidents, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, but dropped Jefferson to focus on Adams. HBO adapted John Adams as a seven-part miniseries for the same name. Premiered in 2008, it starred Paul Giamatti in the title role. The DVD version of the miniseries includes the biographical documentary, David McCullough, Painting with Words. McCullough's 1776 tells the story of the founding year of the United States, focusing on George Washington, the amateur army, and the other struggles for independence. Because of McCullough's popularity, his initial printing was 1.25 million copies, many more than the average history book. Upon its release, the book was a number of one, a number one bestseller in the United States. A miniseries adaption of 1776 was rumored. In 1954, McCullough married Rosalie Barnes. The couple had their first meeting. As teenagers, they remained together until her death on June 9, 2022. They had five children. In 2016, the couple moved to the back bay of the Boston to Hingham, Massachusetts. Three of his five children also lived there as of 2017. So I can understand now why he died. is because his wife died first. It usually happens. A registered independent, McCullough typically avoided publicly commenting on contemporary political issues. When asked to do so, he would repeatedly say, my specialty is dead politicians. During the 2016 presidential election season, he broke with his custom to criticize Donald Trump, whom he called a monstrous clown with a monstrous ego. McCullough taught a writing course at uh, Westlane University and was a visiting scholar at Cornell University and Dartmouth College. After a period of failing health, McCullough died at his home in Hingham on August 7th, 2022. So he was a year away from turning 90. These are just some of his books. The Jonestown Flood, the second incredible story behind this One of the most devastating disasters America has ever known, published in 1968, followed by The Great Bridge, the epic story of the building of the Brooklyn Bridge in 1972, The Path Between the Seas, the creation of the Panama Canal, 1870 to 1914, published in 1977, Mornings on Horseback, a subject on Theodore Roosevelt, published in 1981, Brave Companions, Portraits in History, published in 1991. Truman, about Harry S. Truman, published in 1992. John Adams, about John Adams, published in 2001. 1776, American Revolution, American Revolutionary War, published in 2005. In the Dark Streets, Sheath of 1941 Christmas Eve Story about Winston Churchill, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Arcadia Conference, published in 2010. The Great Journey, Americans in Paris, published in 2011. Americans in Paris during the 19th century, including James Fiennemore Cooper and Samuel Morse. The Wright Brothers, published in 2015. The American Spirit, Who We Are and What We Stand For, 
published in 2017, The Pioneers, the heroic story of the settlers who brought the American ideal west. American Pioneers to the Northwest Territory, published in 2019. McCullough narrated many television shows and documentaries throughout his career. In addition to narrating the 2003 film Seabiscuit, McCullough hosted PBS's American Experience from 1988 to 1999. McCullough narrated numerous documentaries directed by Ken Burns, including the Emmy Award-winning The Civil War, the Academy Award-nominated Brooklyn Bridge, the Statue of Liberty, and the Congress. He served as a guest narrator for The Most Wonderful Time of the Year, a Mormon Tabernacle Choir Christmas concert special that aired on PBS in 2010. McCullough narrated in whole, or in part, numerous of his audiobooks, including Truman, 1776, The Greater Journey, and The Wright Brothers. These are just a list of the films that McCullough narrated. Brooklyn Bridge, 1981. Smithsonian World, five episodes, 1984 to 1988. The Shakers, Hands to Work, Hearts to God, 1985. The Statue of Liberty, 1985. Huey Long, 1985. A Man, A Plan, A Canal, Panama, Nova, 1987. The Congress, 1988, and of course, American Experience, 1988 to 1999. The Civil War, nine episodes, 1990. The Donner Party, 1992. Degenerate Art, 1993. Napoleon, 2000. George Wallace, Setting the Woods on Fire, 2000. 2003's Seabiscuit, The Most Wonderful Time of Year, 2010. Mornings on Horseback won the 1982 award for hardcover autobiography biography from 1980 to 1983 in National Book Award history. There were two there were dual hardcover and paperback awards in most categories and several nonfiction subcategories including general nonfiction. Most of the paperback award winners are reprints including the 1982 autobiography biography. Huh. Hmm. What a long and illustrious career. When we heard David McCullough's voice, we knew what time it was. He talked about presidents. He talked about degenerates who were associated with the president, the founding fathers. He did, uh, I believe this is probably his final interview. We have 60 minutes. Let me see when. It doesn't list it. Um, I know it was a while ago because um, Morley Safer is no longer with us. Um, so if we can, let's play a little bit of that. Here we go. We went with him to Paris, the destination back in the 19th century for a host of young Americans eager to learn from what was then the most important city in the world. France was the cradle of the modern idea of democracy. French troops were vital to America's victory in the War of Independence. And Paris led the world in science, medicine, and the arts. And as McCullough has written, the city was irresistible to the new citizens of a new nation. (laughs) 
came here in the droves. They were here in order to improve themselves and to go home and thereby improve their country. They were the first wave of innocents abroad who began arriving in Paris just 50 years after independence. Funny tonight here, she... In part two, and boulevards, breathtaking parks, great universities, all the things young America didn't have. Was there even an art museum in the United States? No, no art museum in the United States, none. So in 1830, an artist named Samuel Morse came to study the treasures of the Louvre. His painting of what he saw there is a masterwork. But Morse had other talents as well. While in Paris, he dreamed up the idea for the telegraph, as revolutionary in its day as the internet is in ours. He developed not only the telegraphic system, but what we call the Morse code, which was essential. Morris later met Louis Daguerre, the father of photography as we know it. Daguerre showed him this picture, a Paris street scene from 1836, the first photographic image of a human being, a man getting his boots polished. Morse was astonished and with Daguerre's blessing brought photography to America. So one man, having spent time here, brought home not only a stunning work of art, an American masterpiece, but the, the idea for the telegraph and the idea for photography. Others would bring back new ideas in art, architecture, and medicine. In 1871, Mary Putnam became the first American woman to graduate from medical school in Paris. Artists drew inspiration from the city's magnificent Luxembourg Garden. When um, our president said that he has never read a book about the presidency, He's never been interested in reading a book about the presidency or a biography of a president. Uh, that, to me, was very unsettling. And uh, when he said that he doesn't read books because his mind has a reach that goes beyond books, I thought, we're in trouble. The most effective, best presidents we've ever had have all been students of history, as you know. Some of them were historians or wrote excellent history. General Eisenhower's book on the Second World War, Crusade in Europe, which he wrote entirely himself, is one of the best of all the books written about that turn in our story. Uh, just as John Kennedy's Profiles in Courage was superb. Uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt wrote a, an excellent history of the Naval War of 1812, which he started when he was still in Harvard. And of course, Jefferson Adams and Washington, to be sure. And Harry Truman, who never went to college. And General Abbott. Grant, whatever you think of the Grant presidency. Oh. Grant's memoirs are... His, oh, their literature. They're, it's a masterpiece. So we've had examples put before us again and again. Truman said the only new thing in the world is the history you don't know. Well, <laughs> if you don't know any history, everything's going to be new to you in the world. Every, every human... Uh, twist or surprise will be new to you. And that's David McCullough talking to Dan Rather about Trump and Trump's lack of knowledge and his lack of, well, knowledge of history for one and refusing to read. And that's where David McCullough 
actually broke with his tradition of not commenting on contemporary politics and said a thing or two. As we end tonight, this tribute, I knew when I saw this, we have to talk about him. I grew up watching so many documentaries narrated by David McCullough and reading so many books, and he really was a historian. And so we end tonight with, I believe this is his final interview in 2019 with uh, Amanpour and Company. Two, that the native peoples living there would be treated with respect and faith in them. Three, that there would be public education for everybody starting in grade school all the way through college. No state had anything remotely close to that. And of course, it turned out to be the birthplace of all our state universities. And fourth, and most important of all, most radical of all, there would be no slavery. This man who's starting off was determined that the idea of all men are created equal would not just be words on paper, but would be in fact part of American life. That there would be no slavery in that huge new empire, as it were. This is Manasseh Cutler. Manasseh Cutler, who was a classic like your Ben Franklin, mm-hmm. um, 18th century polymath, who was a doctor of law, a doctor of divinity, and a doctor of medicine, all three at once. And probably because he was a minister, and probably because he was therefore completely trusted, and, and rightly so, he succeeded. He got it through, through Congress. And as a consequence, slavery would not be permitted in this new empire. Up until a point when after years later, when Jefferson became president, there was a big movement to end that rule and to admit slaves. Getting to the slavery thing, Jefferson is an interesting figure here because he's in favor at first in the Northwest Ordinance of keeping slavery out. And he wrote that sentence, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident, but he backslides. Yes, he did. He said it wouldn't be good for his political standing back home if he voted for it. Also, he was leaving to become our representative, our ambassador to, to France. So he had that much on his mind. He was going out, leaving the stage, as it were. Mm -hmm. How do we judge from today these people of the past, like a Jefferson, who is a larger-than-life character in the formation of our values, and yet has this thing where it's just so, you know, bad in our current light that he keeps arguing for slavery. History is human. You know that as well as I do. It's about people. And many of the great figures of history, our history, uh, history of civilization, have been often quite imperfect. And, um, but that doesn't mean that what they accomplished wasn't important or valuable or admirable. Jefferson was a brilliant architect. If he didn't been nothing but an architect, he would be someone we should know about. Um, but my feeling strongly now, and I think this was one of the motivations that drove me in this writing this book, 
is that we have heroes all through our history who've never been given the light that they deserve, never been brought mm-hmm. on stage or front and center stage. These are all people, my, the people that figure in my new book are people you've never heard of. This is in Marietta. In Marietta, Ohio. Marietta, Ohio was the first le- legal settlement in all of the Northwest Territory. The white men and women in that territory were either hunters or trappers or squatters. They're there legally, and they're there because they're being compensated as veterans for what, how they'd been paid for their service in the, to the country, which was in what was called scrip, and it was virtually worthless, 10 cents on the dollar. So they were saying, here's this land, which you can have, buy, for very inexpensive price, where the topsoil is five feet deep, where there's every kind of tree from which you can make boats or anything else you want to build or make. And they were going to build boats because it was on the Ohio River. And they could go down the Ohio to the Mississippi, down the Mississippi to New Orleans, and out to sea. And nobody had had the imagination to realize this was going to be possible. The river is at the heart of the story. When they decided to create this new settlement at the juncture of the Ohio and the Muskingum, which is about 90 miles downstream on the Ohio from Pittsburgh, where the Ohio begins, and a beautiful location, and still is absolutely stunning, one of the most beautiful locations in our whole country. Uh, they named it for Marie Antoinette, Marietta, because they felt that she, as much as Ben Franklin, maybe more, they felt, had brought France in to help us win the war. And of course, we wouldn't have won the war without their, the help of the French, not just with money, but with military force. And so it's a tribute to France. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then they set about to create this ideal community, and and they did. It's Manasseh Cutler who helped get the order. And so let's pull away. That is, I believe, David McCullough's final interview in 2019 for his final book, Pioneers. The interview was conducted by uh, Walter Isaac Isaacson on Amanpour and Company on PBS. And so, how do you how do you sum up a life and a career like David McCullough? Well, you give him his flowers, as we did when he was alive, and now that he is gone, um. So yes, it's very, it's a sad day. So if you can watch one of his documentaries. Listen to one of his books. Read one of his books. David McCullough, thank you for everything. Um, may you rest in peace. And all of those wonderful hist- historical moments are now forever on the page, on the stage, on tape, and digital. Unpleasant dreams.